We're going to run a, a short clip. It's not a video clip. It's an audio clip. Um, just now, Carlin, if, that, if you manage to get that work out. All, all I want you to do is just listen. Listen really carefully and see if you can understand what's going on in this clip. Well, for Farpish and BDO, Farpish Sonich and PDC, I'm going to call you Phil the Power Taylor. I'm going to call you a good one. 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 Scots Gaelic. Any Gaelic speakers here? You, you knew exactly what was being said, did you? Um, maybe you've been, I grew up in Ireland and occasionally you'd kind of switch the channel and it would come on the radio and you'd hear all this, what to me was gobbledygook and occasionally you'd hear these words, Andy Murray or Roger Federer and you'd know, oh, they must be talking about tennis. Um, so you may ask, well, Graham, what the world has that got to do with today's sermon? Well, Today we're going to be talking about a scenario which is almost the exact opposite of that, in that we're going to be looking at a particular word which is found in the New Testament which doesn't really fit. So maybe in, as you were listening to that, Andy Murray and Roger Federer and names like that didn't seem to fit what was being said. Well, here we've got the exact opposite scenario where this particular word doesn't seem to fit within the Greek New Testament um, that we have. Now, in case you're unaware, the New Testament was written in Greek. It wasn't originally written in English. It had to be translated into the English language. Um, so if you took some time, if you knew the Greek language and you had the New Testament manuscripts, the originals in front of you, and you took time to study them, you'd probably make sense of them, but you may come across the odd word or phrase that just didn't seem to fit. And today we're going to be talking about one of those words, it's a word that's been borrowed from the Aramaic language, um, which isn't really used too much around the world anymore, um, but it's come down to us in our English Bibles. It was retained in the Greek text and is also found in our English Bibles as well. It's what we'd call a, a loan word. Now, a loan word is a word which has been borrowed from another language, and we've adopted it into it's been adopted into another language. Can you think of examples that maybe we use in our English language that aren't originally English? Pano chocolat. Have you had your dinner yet, Peter? Pano chocolat is a good example. Deja vu. Is that what you said? Yeah? You all know what that means. That's what. <laughs> I like that. You're on the ball now. I thought you're just being thick, but actually you're being very intelligent. Deja vu. We have words like alter ego. That's a Latin phrase. Rendezvous is another one. Etc. Stuff like that. So these are words which are called loan words, which have been taken from an, an existing language and they've been borrowed into another language. And what we're dealing with tonight is exactly that. It is the word Abba. Now, I 
guess some of you were here this morning. Poor Jean and Grant were over in Leith. I hope you haven't come here thinking it was a different speaker. You didn't? <laughs> At least you came here knowing. Uh, I hate it when that happens. You think, oh no, these poor people have to listen to exactly the same sermon. You guys, that happens to you all the time, doesn't it? Um, lucky you. So we're borrowing, we're going into this word Abba, and uh, we're going to ask ourselves, what does this word mean? We're right in the middle of a series on the Father heart of God. Uh, so we're going to ask ourselves, what has this word Abba got to do with the Father heart of God, and what indeed has it got to do with us? That's what we're going to be talking about this evening. So let's pray just before we, we start and get into it. Father, thank you that tonight you're present by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that it's your desire, it's your real desire to speak to us. And God, maybe some of us had a long day, maybe it's the second service we've been, been in. Uh, God, maybe our brains are fried, maybe we're thinking about tomorrow. Um, God, whatever state we're in, I pray we'd just be able to find ourselves with enough headspace and heart space to be able to absorb some of what you want to say tonight. I pray you'd speak to us. I pray you'd, our hearts would be open. Um, and I pray that uh, you would just enrich and bless and inspire what I'm saying, God, and it would, it would indeed be what you're saying to these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at this word Abba. Now, Abba is not just a Swedish pop band, it is something significant in the scriptures. Abba Father in particular is the phrase uh, that we're going to be looking at. And it's found three times in the New Testament. It was first used by Jesus. Can anyone remember where Jesus uttered those words, Abba Father? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Correct, Samantha, thank you. In the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was just as you probably know, hours before Jesus was crucified, it was just after what we call the Last Supper. Jesus has predicted Judas is going to betray him. He's predicted Peter is going to deny him. And he's just hours away now from his crucifixion. And this is where we pick up the story in the garden in Mark 14 and verse 32. It says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet yeah, not what I will, but what you will. So here we have Jesus effectively in his darkest hour. This is him uh, knowing that what's coming is just unthinkably cruel. He's going to go through beating. He's going to go through torture. He's going to be pinned to a cross. And he says to his disciples, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. And he prays this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for, for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He's essentially praying, God, Father, if there's anything else, if there's another way, please can I take it? I do not want to have to do this. But what we're most interested here today in is uh, those first two words that he opens this prayer with, Abba, Father. What are the significance of those two words. And I've got three answers under three headings for you to that question. The first is this, Abba 
is the language of family. Say family. We said earlier that Abba was a loan word. It's been borrowed from the Aramaic language. It found its way into the New Testament scriptures, the Greek manuscripts, and it's even come down to us, transliterated, if you like, into English. Abba, that's just what we have in our English translation, and it basically means father. So what we've got is Abba, father, Abba meaning father, so what we've got is father, father. And uh, you may think, well, if that's what it means, then why doesn't it just say that? Why Why doesn't it just translate it like that into our English Bible, and some people have suggested that Mark actually inserted a second word. He inserted the Greek word pater to explain to his Greek audience what Abba meant. In case they didn't know Aramaic, he put it in Greek so that they would understand. But I don't think that's consistent with the rest of his writings because there's actually several times in the New Testament where Mark in particular references things that Jesus said in Aramaic and then he goes out of his way to translate them and he makes it very obvious that he's translating them. Here's some examples. Mark chapter 5 and verse 41. He says, this is when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He said, it, it says, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Anyone speak Aramaic here? No one's willing to. <laughs> Not today. Um, and then he goes on to say, which means, so there he's clearly indicating this is, I'm now about to tell you what that means. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. He's translated it. Uh, Mark seven thirty four. he looked up to heaven. This is Jesus healing a, a deaf man. And with a deep sigh, said to him, epaphtha, which means be opened. Again, that part in brackets is part of the original. It's not just something we put in our English Bible. That's something Mark included in his Greek manuscript. And then Mark 15, verse 34, and at three in the afternoon, this is Jesus on the cross, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here we have several occasions where we have this phrase in Aramaic, and it's, Mark is in particular making a point of saying, now I'm going to translate this, now I'm going to let you know what this means. He doesn't do that with Abba Father. He doesn't do that. He just says Abba and Father. doesn't indicate in any way that Father is a translation of the word Abba. And so my point in all of this, and I think what Mark wants us to know, is that the Aramaic Abba and the Greek word pater are not just quite the same word. They're not an exact equivalent. Most scholars believe that Jesus was multilingual. And that means that he spoke multiple languages. What languages do you think Jesus spoke? Guess. Hebrew? Yep. Scottish. Thanks, Gary. Always appreciate your contributions. Aramaic. Some people would say he spoke a few words of Latin. Arguably, he maybe used Latin when he was talking to Pontius Pilate. Greek. Yeah, he certainly spoke Greek. So these are several languages that Jesus most likely spoke. Um, But the majority of scholars believe that his first language was Aramaic. That was his mother tongue, if you like. Anyone here who's not from Scotland or England or Ireland and English isn't your first language, put up your hand. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe some of these things will make more sense to you. So here we have Jesus in deliberately using his mother tongue, his first language, to talk to his father. 
to address his father. I don't know if you guys who are non-English speakers or not non-English speakers, that's you're not your native language, if you can testify to the fact that sometimes when you want to get something across that's deeply emotional or you're under pressure or you're under duress or something's going on in your life where uh, you, know, you just want to communicate something deep, uh, that you'd possibly switch back into your, your mother tongue. Could anyone kind of testify to the fact that that was what you would do? Well, I, I think that's maybe what's going on here with, with Jesus. He's in this place of deep duress. He's under great pressure. The Bible says in other places that, it, that the sweat is coming off of him and it's like blood falling to the ground. Jesus is under deep pressure and it's like, it's like what first comes into his mind, what first comes into his head is something that's very familiar. And it's the word in his mother tongue, Abba. There's a guy, a scholar called Kenneth E. Bailey, um, who is quite a, a well-known guy concerning things to do with the Middle East. He's a, a scholar who's taught there for about 40 years. And he was teaching a group of Lebanese women in Lebanon, strangely. And uh, I've lost my place, what was I saying? And he was teaching them on prayer. And he was talking about this word Abba, the very word we're talking about tonight. And he was launching off in this little spiel about how Abba was a first century Aramaic word, not so much around just now. And there was this kind of restless embarrassment going on in the, in the room. And he was like, what's, what's going on? And he said, have you guys got anything you want to tell me? And one of the ladies at the back put up her hand and said, Dr. Bailey, um, just so you know, Abba is the very first word we teach our kids. It's the very first word they learn. And this was only a decade or so ago. Um, and he went on to discover that in at least four Middle Eastern countries, Lebanon, Syria, Palestine, and Jordan, at least that is the case in, in those areas. So Abba, this word, this Aramaic word, even though the language has evolved and it's now Arabic that they chiefly speak out there, um, this Aramaic word has survived. This Abba has survived. And it's probable that children in Jesus' day, this was, this was amongst the first words that they learned. It's probable that this was amongst the first word, if not the first word, that Jesus learned. And so it carried, I think, for Jesus certain connotations, just as it would for any uh, Jewish lad uh, in the day. So he, had, he has this word Abba, and it has a specific connotations. I would suggest to you um, that when he was using the word Abba, it was possibly more akin to the English word daddy than it was to a formal word like father. And I think uh, Brian Hayes, who was here this morning, if you're here today, has already told you about that. Maybe that's not a new concept to you. But this word Abba is an intimate word. It's an intimate word that has connotations of relationship and warmth and affection. And um, it's not only that, uh, I did quite a lot of reading about this, and I think it's probably oversimplistic to say that it just means daddy, because there are people when they grew up typically would still use this word, so it's not just a, a word that tiny children would use. So I think Abba, if you want the Graham Williamson summary of what uh, I think this means, maybe you don't, but you're going to get it anyway, I think it, I think it means where deep respect and deep intimacy meet. And uh, when we're talking about this word Abba, my preference, if I'm honest, is to probably translate it dad, or at least that's the, that's the version that I feel uh, makes most sense of, of what 
um, the word means from what I've found out. You can probably translate it in a way that you're comfortable with, um, but I'm going to suggest that the word I'm going to be using most often in the rest of this message is the word dat. But here's the point. Abba is the language of family. That's what we said. That was the first point which we're still on. Abba is the language of family. You see, you can talk about the father. You can talk about him even if you don't know him, even if you're not related to him, even if you're not a child of God. You can still talk about the father, but you can only ever refer to him as dad, as Abba, if you are a son or a daughter. That's the difference. So if you're a son or a daughter of God, you can address God in this way. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was addressing God. Abba, if you like, is the family name for the father. How many of you here uh, in your relationships, your close relationships with other people, whether that's a husband or a wife or your kids or your mom or dad, have maybe names that you would use of them and they would use of you that nobody else in the world is allowed to use? Admit it. How many of you? are in that situation. Somebody get a mic. <laughs> in fact, Jody and Jordan. Come on, this is a special day and you need to, you need to share it with us all. <laughs> Cupcake. Alan, is that... Uh, that's them. That's them. It's not, it's not you. Okay. This can be a coffee time discussion afterwards, okay? We're not going to... I'm not going to spend a long time on this one because then you start asking me and that's not a good thing. My, my point is here that I think Abba is like that. So Abba is like one of those names that you get to use of certain people and uh, certain people get to use of you but nobody else is. So God has allowed us as his children to approach him in this way, Dad. Dad. And no one else gets to use that name but children. That's the way this word is supposed to be used. In fact, if you look up the word Abba in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, I know you do that stuff all the time, <laughs> all you'll see is this, it's a very short entry, all it says is, of Chaldee origin, father as evocative, not evocative, avocative. So what's, what's vocative? That's a case, it's a grammar thing. I didn't learn any grammar, so I had to have to look up what this meant. Does anyone do any languages? You know, you know what evocative is? What's evocative, Catherine? Yeah, so it's funny how people who come and learn English know more about English than we do, isn't it? <laughs> but evocative is, is, a, is a case, it's a case that you use when you're addressing someone. So if I say, I love you, Dad. The word dad there is a vocative expression because I'm talking to who? Talking to dad. And so that's a vocative. If, I'm, if I say I love my dad, then that's also a nice thing to say, but it's not the same as saying I love you dad because I'm not addressing dad. And so Abba here, the word Abba here is actually used as a vocative. It's, about, it's talking to dad rather than talking about father. Does that make sense? So it's, it's used, and that's always the way it's used in the New Testament. It's only used three times, but in each of those cases, it's always about sons and daughters communicating with their heavenly dad, and it can only legitimately used, be used by sons and daughters. Only legitimately can be used by sons and daughters. And the Bible says in John 1.12, 
that if we receive Christ, if we believe in his name, that he gives us the right to become children of God. So we have that right as believers. And this is what Paul says. He says it in a, in a slightly different way. He elaborates. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. This is the second, second time this word Abba appears. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. He's contrasting slaves and sons. And by the way, a slave would never ever be allowed to use the word Abba. That was expressly banned. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you would live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So as God's children, we get the right to call him Abba, Father. We get the right to call him Dad, and it's a privilege that's reserved for children. It's a privilege that's reserved for sons and daughters. And you know what the most amazing thing is about being a son or a daughter of God? Is that we get to approach God in just the same way Jesus did. We get to approach God in just the same way Jesus did. And I believe God hears us in just the same way that he hears Jesus. In fact, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've ever thought about yourself as being the younger sibling of Jesus. You are, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? You are a, you are a sibling of Christ. Not only are you a child of God, you are a, a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews tells us. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And so you're a child of God. You're a brother and sister of Christ. And so just in the same way that he is your brother, he is is a family member, approached God and said, Abba, Father, you get to do exactly the same thing. And to top it off, the Father hears you and listens to you in just the same way as he hears Jesus. And not only does he hear you, he delights to hear you. He delights to hear you. So in the same way that when Jesus talks to him and he delights in the sound of Jesus' voice and in the cry of Jesus' heart, he delights in you talking to him and crying out to him. Do you think when Jesus was praying in the garden and he said, Abba, Father, that God was listening? Think so? Of course he was listening. I was telling the guys in Leith this morning that even a, even a halfway decent father, even a halfway decent earthly father, if they hear the cry of a, a, a loved one, a son or a daughter, if they hear a distress cry, they're going to stop everything. They're going to drop everything and just run to attend to the needs of that child. How much more, God? How much more does God you know, wanna, does his ears prick up when, when you call on his name? When you reach out to him, when you, when you uh, call out to him with your heart. You know, the way you perceive God will have a huge effect on the way you talk to him. So if you perceive that God isn't listening or that God has got better things to do with his time, or that God isn't really interested in you, that's gonna affect in a huge way the way you approach him. It's the, same with, it's the same with any relationship, same with any kind of conversation. If you know, if you're talking to someone and you sense this person isn't listening, you ever have that? You ever do that? 
Dan's laughing nervously there. I saw you in a meeting up there. I hope you weren't doing that with them, were you? You, you were listening. Good. Was he, Rebecca? He was. Good. <laughs> Hopefully. But if you, say, if, you, if you sense somebody isn't listening or they're preoccupied or they're judging you, and that totally affects the way you talk to them, doesn't it? totally affects the confidence with, with which you come. It affects your manner. It affects your body language. It affects the heart of what you're saying. So when you pray to Father, what kind of Father are you praying to? That's good. But what do you perceive him to be like? That's a rhetorical question, actually. Don't answer it. But what do you, what do you perceive him to be like? Do you perceive him to be interested? Do you perceive him to care? Do you perceive that it matters to God what you're saying? It's a good question to ask yourself. I want to tell you that when you go to God in prayer and you call out, Abba, Father, Dad, your father's ears prick up. He gets moved. Why? Because he knows the voice of his kids. He knows the voice of his children. You know, as a, as a father, as a parent, you know that even if you're in a room of a hundred other kids, when your kid yells, you know that's your kid. It's like, whoa, that's my son or my daughter. And I think the same is true of God. He knows the cry of his children. And in the same way that a natural father or natural mother's heart melts when they hear the sound of their own son or daughter, I think that's what God is like. In fact, I know it. That's the way God is. So when you cry out, Abba, Father, when you cry out, Dad, you have his full attention. So believe it. Believe it. And make use of your standing in God. Make use of your position. Make use of your sonship or your daughtership, if that's a word. Make use of it. Believe that he hears you. I was encouraging the folks this morning. Why not, as a matter of discipline over the next little while, why not in your conversations with God, why not use, rather than using the word Father or God or Lord, which are all good things, all good names to give God, why not deliberately call him Dad? Why not deliberately just do that? Especially if that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Especially if it does. Um, because I think the more you say that, the more you use that expression, the more you might begin to believe it in your heart. So why not take some time in your prayer life just to try and change the way you talk and maybe that will change the way you think and the way you approach God. Second point, you still with me? Yeah. About Abba. The first one was that Abba is the language of family. The second is this, Abba is a hiding place. Abba is a hiding place. Any of you as a kid ever have a, a secret hiding place where you would go when either you were in trouble or you just wanted some quietness, you just wanted some peace, or you wanted to feel safe? Did you ever have that? Well, I want to suggest to you that in the manner of speaking, Jesus had a hiding place. You know, I think personally that Abba was a word that Jesus used all the time in his talking to God, but it's interesting that the only time that we get to hear him say it is in the garden. And we've kind of speculated about how he was feeling, but what is clear is that this was just an immense ordeal that Jesus was going through. He knows what's coming. He knows the beatings that are coming. He knows the humiliation that's coming. 
And he's most aware, probably the thing that's distressing him most, is that the father he's been with in direct and intimate communication with for all, from all eternity past, he's going to be separated from that relationship. And so he's distressed. He says himself, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And where does he go? He goes to, if you like, his hiding place. He finds a solitary place in the garden away from his disciples. He falls to his knees and the word that comes most easily to his lips is perhaps the first word he ever learned as a child, Abba, his hiding place. His hiding place wasn't the garden. It wasn't a place. It was the person of Abba Father. You know, it's a a well-known fact that if you're in trouble or if you're under pressure, or if you're all stressed out, one of the most pressing instincts inside of you is to go and find somewhere that it's secure and safe. Um, Ask the guys this morning, has anyone here ever been homesick? Ever experienced homesickness? It's mostly girls that are admitting it, I think. Guys, if they're honest, maybe have two, unless you're born in Gorgie. You probably don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but I, when I moved to Edinburgh 15 or so years ago, I can remember in my first year at university being extremely homesick, and I didn't like to admit it because I'm a guy and I'm, that's not cool. But I was really homesick, and there were times when I was really emotionally going through it or just feeling really exposed or vulnerable that the thing that I most wanted to do was get on the phone, book a call Stenaline, and get on the first boat back home. Why? Because it was a place of security, it was a place of comfort, it was a place of solace. And here's Jesus at his most vulnerable, at his most desperate, deeply needing comfort and strength and assurance. And where does he go? He goes to Abba. He goes to Dad. He goes to his heavenly Father, straight into his presence. And it reminded me when I was thinking about this very much of Psalm 91, any of you know that psalm? If you don't get to know it, it's a brilliant, brilliant psalm. I might read all of it. I'm not sure. I'll see how far I get through. This is Psalm 91. It says, Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. In fact, let's read this together. Is it up there? He is my refuge and my fortress. Are you with me? Is it up there? You're not saying it out loud. I didn't mean like <laughs> mouth it. I meant say it. I've not even lost my place now. Start again, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Say refuge again. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling. Let's stop there. Brilliant, Sam. And it's all about what I'm talking about. It's all about making God your hiding place. 
See, everybody has a hiding place. Whether you admit it or not, you have one. Some of you hide in drink. Some of you hide in relationships. Some of you hide in your money. Some of you hide in the busyness of life. But you all hide. I hide. The question is, where do you hide? And I want to make the suggestion tonight that the only safe place to hide is in the arms of Abba Father. That's the only reliable place to go. It's the only one where your the heart, the cry of your heart is going to be met completely is in the embrace in the arms of Abba Father. So Abba is a hiding place. Number three, Abba is a cry from the heart. Say heart. As we've seen, the first time we see this phrase Abba Father is, is when it's used of Jesus in Gethsemane and we've already kind of imagined what that was like emotionally for Jesus and how he cried that. It wasn't a kind of apathetic cry. It wasn't a cry of indifference. It was a deep heart felt cry it was it was reverberated within him and it's interesting that in the other two times it's used both in Romans and Galatians the the same sense of urgency the same passion the same emotion is expressed there also we've already read read the Romans one and let's let's read Galatians and I want you to know in both of those cases Abba Father is something that's cried out say cried out Galatians 4 verses 4 to 6, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. We've read that before. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. So the word, the word, the Greek word there for crying is the word kratso. And that means to cry loudly, to cry out loudly with an urgent scream or shriek. So this isn't Abba Father. It's not that. I'll not even try and do what it is because it's going to understate what it means. But it's a crying. It's a deep, heartfelt cry. It's not a whisper. It's not a kind of bland mention. It's a cry from within you. That's what the Bible tells us. And so if you're a believer here, God, this is what these verses are telling us, God has sent his spirit into your heart to cry out toward your Abba Father. That's what's going on below the surface of your life if you're a child of God, because the Bible says it. That's what's going on under the surface of your life. And I have to tell you, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Say after me, it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. The fact that you're a child of God, that you can approach God as your heavenly dad, is a heart revelation. And, um, you know, if I have an encouragement for you during this whole thing we're doing on the Father Heart of God, is that you need to have a revelation of this in your heart. It's not enough for you to grasp it in your head. Not enough. And I know, I know that we all know, we talk about all the time about what God is like, that God is good, that he's forgiving, that he's generous, that he's bountiful. We talk about all that all the time. So these are things you're familiar with, at least in here. The question is, is it here yet? Is it? And only you can answer that question. Only I can answer that question. And I have to admit, 
that what most excites me about going through this material is the potential that these things, these truths would become more real in my heart. And I want to encourage you that they can become more real in yours. Abba Father is a cry from the heart. And so my encouragement to you tonight is let it out. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it out. And don't smile. I know what some of you are thinking. Let it out. Let it out. Let that cry out. Take your focus off what you're thinking. Back on the Bible. Back on God. Let it out. Let this cry out. Because that's what's going on in your heart. That crying toward Abba, toward your father God, toward your dad, is what's going on on the inside. That's, that's what Scripture tells us. And so it's happening. The question is, are you suppressing it or are you letting it out? Are you letting it to dominate in a healthy way your life? The tendency of British folk, especially British, Scottish, whatever, males, is that we're rather reserved, aren't we? That we don't tend to wear our heart on our sleeve, that we keep it all bottled up and it's, you know, stiff upper lip and all that stuff. I want to encourage you that your relationship with your dad, your heavenly dad, was never meant to be formal and reserved, even if your relationship with your earthly dad was. It's never meant to be a kind of mechanical process. It's never meant to be a formulaic thing. It's supposed to be a relationship full of sentiment, full of affection, full of emotion, not a business-like exchange. So how about you talk honestly with your heavenly father? How about you, you just be real with him? It's funny how we try and hide from God even though he knows everything that's going on within us. We kind of just put up these prayers and these fronts and, and yet God knows exactly what's going on. So I want to encourage you to be honest, be real with God. Some of you have a battle going on and inside of you. I said that this, this cry is, is part, it's coming from your spirit. It's not coming from your head. And for, for some of you, you are battling with things going on in your head that are conflicting with things that are coming out of your heart. So you've got these voices and these things going on in your head saying, God doesn't like me. God doesn't have time for me. God doesn't want me. God doesn't like me. God doesn't desire to hear from me. And all these things are bombarding you when really deep inside what your heart is crying is, Abba, Father. And so you've got to, as best you can, stop listening to those voices and start listening to the Spirit of God within you. He's crying out. He's crying out, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I wonder if we're allowing that relationship and that cry to have its full potential in our lives. I wonder if we are. And I, I, I've got to be honest with you, I wonder if I am. I, don't want, I want you to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, are you allowing this Abba, Father, this relationship with him, this dad thing, this heart-to-heart -heart thing to happen to its fullest extent in your life? And that's my appeal to you this evening. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And uh, I just want you to be honest with yourself. I just want you to be honest with yourself about, you know, have you really taken this where you want to take it? And you know, when, when we get to a heart-to-heart -heart level with God, it can sometimes get messy. 
I wonder if you've ever been really messy before God. It's okay to be messy before God. There have been times in my life where I've been an utter mess before God. And I have to say, looking back, they've been the richest times in my entire life where I've been completely broken, where I've allowed what's in here to come out. I've allowed it to get messy. There have been lots of tears, lots of puddles on the floor from the tears. (laughs) And just messy, in case you were wondering. Just messy. So my encouragement to you British folks, if there are any in the room, is to just be real. Just be really honest. Just allow over the course of this series, and I don't expect you all to be in floods of tears tonight here. Can be if you want. But the important thing is that, that you're real with dad. That you, you take it to the next level with dad. And maybe you're here and you're hungry for more of this revelation in your life. Well, um, hopefully there'll be some leaders available at the end. Maybe some of you leaders need that revelation. It's okay to be honest about that too. By the way, if you're a leader and you ever want to respond to someone here, don't think, I can't do that because I'm a leader. Nonsense. We all can. Um, so we're going to close just now. I want you, if you're a believer here already tonight, to just respond in some way. I don't know where all, you, where all of you are at. You can just take this stuff to God and talk to him. But if you can all close your eyes just for a moment, we're going to do something we always do, which is just talk to those in the room tonight. There may not be any, but there may be just one or two people here who don't yet, can't yet call God dad because they haven't yet crossed the line in their hearts to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. If you're here tonight in that category, and actually you think, I desperately need to connect with that. Then the, the Bible says it's as simple as receiving Jesus, believing in him. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be all polished up. You just have to believe and receive Christ. So if you're here tonight and you need to make that move and you want to do it, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want to just invite you to repeat that prayer after me. You can say it under your breath because God knows exactly what's going on in your heart anyway. Just pray like this. Jesus, I thank you that even though in that garden all those years ago you said Your will be done, God. You said, Abba, Father, your will be done. And I believe, Jesus, that even though it was the worst thing you ever went through, that what you went through on the cross when you died and you rose again for me, that that bridged the gulf between me and Dad that that set up the relationship, that that paved the way for that relationship to be restored and for me to be reconciled with you. Jesus, I fully believe that you died for me and you rose again. 
God, I also fully believe that I'm a sinner and I'm a mess without you. And I turn away as best I can tonight from everything within me that I know is wrong. I give my life to you. I thank you that you heard me when I prayed that. I thank you that it mattered a great deal to you. And I give you my life. In Jesus' name.